Welcome to the College Park Church of Christ Sermon Series Podcast. This sermon was recorded at the College Park Church of Christ in the Conroe Porter area. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for studying the Word of God with us. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that if anyone desires to come after me, that he needs to deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. And whenever you think about that statement, that can seem like a daunting task. Because the reality of it is, is that whenever you become a Christian, it's not sunshines and rainbows. There's a difficulty involved there. There's struggles involved there. You struggle with the fact that we all have a past. We struggle with this idea of comparing ourselves to one another. We have selfish tendencies. We have lapses in our faith. We make mistakes. And struggling, dealing with those is a struggle. And one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning is a is a struggle that I believe is a lot more common than what we want to admit. It's one that we don't want to talk about because we're afraid of what somebody might think if we say that we have questions or that we have doubts. But I'm going to tell you, I believe that as I have studied this, as I have had discussions with people over the last few years of giving this sermon, it's a lot more prevalent than what we want to admit, and a lot more people struggle with it. But I also want to say that if handled correctly, doubts can be a catalyst for growth. It can bring about good things to where you can make a good transition between maybe things that you have taught or have been taught by your parents that maybe you didn't completely believe that you now can integrate into your full belief system and really stand firm in your relationship with God and your faith in God. And, and I encourage you as we move through this study that that's the focal point, is that we focus on this idea of moving from doubt to faith and strengthening our relationship with God. The reason that I am so passionate about this particular subject is because I was one of those who've had a lot of doubts. Whenever I first went to college... I was raised around the church, but I moved from a town of about 1,800 to 2,000 people to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and it was a melting pot of diversity. I was exposed to things there that I had never considered, never thought of, didn't know that they existed. But I was also in a time frame that I was trying to figure out who I was and what I believed. Whenever you get exposed to a lot of different things that you've never been to exposed to, you start to ask the question, is that actually true? Or is what I believed actually true? And I started to go through a process that I had a lot of doubts, I had a lot of questions, and because of that, I will also tell you that I made some choices I'm not proud of. There were some things that I did that I was very double-minded in my thinking, where on Sundays or Wednesdays I acted very much like a Christian because that's what the expectation was for me. Because all that congregation knew who I was, they knew my family, they had watched me grow up. But then on the other side of the aisle, on Monday through Friday, or Saturday, I struggled with making good decisions, and it's because I didn't have a firm faith. It's because I didn't have this ability to see the new creation that God had made me and truly believe that. And so, yes, I made a lot of bad decisions, but I also spent a lot of time 
researching other religions. I spent a lot of time researching other denominations. I spent a lot of time extensively studying the Scriptures. I read articles from websites like Apologetics Press, and from that period of doubt, I was able to have a catalyst for my faith where I now had a firm faith in God, in Jesus, in the church, and why I believed the things that I believed. And it wasn't my parents' faith anymore, it was mine. And I know that I'm not the only one who struggled with doubt. As I said, I believe that it is something that's a lot more prominent than what we want to admit. And I know that other Christians have, have questioned God. They've questioned Jesus. They have questioned the validity of the Bible. There's so many questions, and we're just not immune to doubt as we think we might be. And I want you to know that not only do you, do you share in that struggle with me, but you share in that struggle with people who were very close followers of Jesus in the New Testament. And we're going to look at some of those examples that will help us understand this concept, but also see some of the things that we need to have in our lives to help us move from doubt to faith. We're going to begin by looking at John the Baptist this morning. I bet everybody thought I was going to start with Thomas, right, CB? We're going to start with John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is a very interesting case study. Whenever you consider who he was, whenever he was in the womb, he was prophesied that he was going to be the trumpet blower, if you will, for the Messiah. It says that the angel said to him, John's father, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also be before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for war. This makes it sound like that his whole path of life is completely lined out for him, right? And whenever we approach it from this passage, there's no way that this man would ever doubt God or Jesus or anyone else. As he is in his mother's womb, Jesus and John are cousins. Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. Whenever they see one another, John leaps in his mother's womb as a baby, recognizing that he is in the presence of that Messiah that he is going to be the trumpet bearer for. Amazing. Astounding. Not someone that you would consider to have doubt in their life. In John chapter 1, after John and Jesus have both been born, they've both become men, and they, John has already been preaching. Jesus is starting His ministry. It says that the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward Him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for He was before me. I did not know Him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit of God descending like he from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John had a very interesting eyewitness testimony. 
Not only did God tell him that this is who the Messiah was going to be, and he saw the Spirit of God come down on Jesus, he also got to experience hearing God saying when Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John got to experience that. And here he is proclaiming that Jesus is that Son of God who came to take on the sins of the world. And whenever you think about John the Baptist, this is who you think of. You don't think of somebody who's struggling. Who has questions. Who has doubts. But then we fast forward to Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, it's a whole different context. Because at this point, John has been thrown into prison for preaching the truth of God. He stood up to the wrong official. And he got thrown in prison for it. And it's hard to say how long he's been in prison at this point. Somewhere between six months or two years is uh, is an estimation there. But as he sits in prison, he starts to wonder. And it says that John heard in prison about the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? That's a powerful question whenever you think about it. Because this doesn't sound like the same man who boldly proclaimed to so many people that Jesus was the Son of God who came to take on the sins of the world. And it may be troubling to think about the idea that John had doubts. In fact, if you go and you look at different commentaries, you'll see arguments with different commentaries and scholars wondering if John actually doubted in this. But here we see him asking the question, are you truly the one? Or should we be looking for another? And I can't tell you I know exactly what was going through John's mind, but I would assume that it went something along like this. Here I am in prison for preaching the truth of God. And he starts to think about some of the Old Testament passages where it mentions that whenever the Messiah would come, that it would break free from the jail so that he would be a liberator of God's people. And so he's in prison thinking, well, you know, the Messiah is here. I'm going to be in and out of this place pretty quickly. But the longer he sits, the longer he wonders. And it starts to shift from... Jesus is the Son of God to, well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I've spent my entire life preaching about someone who isn't the right someone. Fortunately, he had enough faith to know who to ask and what to ask. And he asks the question, are you really that promised Messiah? Or should we be looking for another? And I want you to notice what Jesus' answer is here. It said, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now I want you to notice that Jesus could have answered this question in a lot of different ways. He could have very simply said, yes I am, now go back and tell John. He could have rebuked John for his doubt and his questions. And he said, you're supposed to be the trumpet bearer for me. How in the world are these people going to be prepared if you were questioning? He could have put him on a major guilt trip and said, you were there. You heard God say, I am his beloved son. He's pleased in me. 
But that's not what Jesus did. But the way that Jesus answered, answered his doubt is that he pointed to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. He said, John, look around you. The blind see, the lame walk. It's happening. It's happening. He sent the Word of God back to him as evidence that he truly is the Messiah. And he had full confidence that John would take that answer and that his faith would be renewed. His questions and his doubts would be answered. But I want you to notice what happened next in verse 7. That as John's disciples departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now I want you to think about this from the perspective of the disciples of John for just a second. The man who you've been following is questioning the legitimacy of the man he's been following. How difficult would that be? Do you think that would inspire some questions in your mind as a disciple of John? Some doubts in your mind? And the way that I picture this, again, Jesus could have answered that question a lot of different ways, but the way that I picture this is they are going back to tell Jesus the answer from Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus gives this answer while they are within earshot. And instead of berating John, and telling all of these people about the miserable wretch of who is John who started questioning and doubting, he says John is great. John is great. He said, what did you expect to see? A man who's weak? What did you expect to see? A man who's used to a comfortable life and is just going to give up whenever times are hard? No. John is great. He's a prophet, but he's not just a prophet. He is a prophet who has gotten to see the fulfillment of the things that he prophesied about. All of these other prophets talked about a Messiah coming, a salvation for God's people, but they didn't get to truly see it like John did. And so my question is, did John having doubts make him less of a follower of Jesus? At that point, did Jesus abandon him and say, you're no longer worthy of me? Depart. I believe Jesus knew that whenever that message got back to John, that his faith would be renewed. But what we see is that Jesus was able to assist the doubt of John. He was able to strengthen the disciples of John who were likely questioning, but also he was able to strengthen the faith of all of those people that were sitting here listening to him talk about this. And what we see is a situation where somebody was doubting being a catalyst for people to strengthen their faith. And so I want you to recognize that I'm not the only one who's had to deal with doubt, and you aren't either, because we've got people like John who did that. 
And so let's spend a little bit of time thinking about the nature of doubt. As I've studied doubt from the scriptural perspective, I've hit basically three. And I think that there may be more, but there's three major categories. One is intellectual doubt. One is spiritual doubt. And one is circumstantial doubt. And we're going to dig into a little bit of what these are and how that progression forms in our life. But intellectual doubts are essentially those raised outside of the church or in general. It can be raised from those within the church, but generally it's raised from those outside of the church. And we see examples of intellectual doubts in the Scriptures whenever we think about people like the scribes and Pharisees who they knew God, they knew what the Scripture said about the Messiah, but they didn't want to admit that Jesus was the Messiah because it was counterintuitive for them because they didn't want to give up their authority. They had a pride problem that kept them from seeing the truth. And so what they did is they looked at Jesus' disciples and they tried to cast doubt in their minds by asking Jesus all these types of questions to discredit Jesus. They wanted people to start wondering, is He truly the Messiah? Is He truly from God? Is what He says actually correct? Because they don't want people to believe because that meant that they lost their authority. And we see examples of this today in the world where we are surrounded with people who are trying to cast doubt in our minds. People like Richard Dawkins who are evangelists for atheism. And their whole idea is to try to get people to doubt and question whether or not Jesus is the Son of God, whether or not He raised from the dead, whether or not the Bible is valid. And they push agendas like this, such as there is no God, so enjoy your life. Meaning you can't enjoy your life if you try to follow God. And so they write books, they put videos out there with the intent of getting people to ask things like, did God create the universe? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And I've heard a lot of people ask these questions. And they are raised by people who want you to doubt. Some of those are legitimate questions because you start to read those articles and you watch those videos... And you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe there's something to this. Another type of doubt is intellectual or spiritual doubt, excuse me. And spiritual doubt generally tends to be raised by those within the church or had by those within the church. And we see examples of this of Thomas. So if you've been wondering when I was going to get to Thomas, here's the point right here. It says in John chapter 20 and verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger in here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put into my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. I want you to recognize something about verse 24. Thomas was a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Gospel narratives, he is mentioned as a disciple in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't know how long he traveled with Jesus, but he was there for a long time. Probably pretty close to three years. And he spent that three years listening to Jesus' teaching. Seeing those miracles. But I want you to think about this situation from the perspective of Thomas for just a second. Because in that three years, I think it is very likely that he developed a close relationship with Jesus. And his friend just died. And I am very willing to say that the disciples didn't completely understand that Jesus taught. 
everything that Jesus taught. They didn't have a good picture of how all things were going to go down, but what they did know, Jesus was dead. Your friend was dead. And whenever somebody else from your friend group comes and tells you, I've seen him. Our friend is back from the dead. You want to believe that? It would literally take a miracle for that to happen. And I can see very easily where Thomas just wouldn't want to get his hopes up. So he says, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to get my hopes up. And the only way that I'm going to believe is if I'm able to stick my fingers in those nail holes or stick my hand in that side. And the next time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples and Thomas was present, what did Jesus say? He says, here they are. He says, don't be unbelieving, but believing. You see, Thomas was struggling with the concept that Jesus was able to rise from the dead. Because that's a miraculous concept. He was struggling with the idea of truly believing whether or not what Jesus said was actually true. And that's a spiritual doubt. And we see examples of that in people today where we ask questions such as, I'm real, am I really a Christian? Ever asked that? You know, you, you start to struggle with, you see all the things that are going on around you, the problems that you have, and, and you start to wonder, was I baptized for the right reason? Have I truly believed? Do I still have my sins? Ask the question all that, am I really going to go to heaven? Do I have assurance of that? We say, you know, it's, it's so hard to pray. Why is it so hard to pray? Why is it so hard to talk to God? Why do I keep sinning? I keep trying and I keep trying and I keep trying and yet I still keep on sinning. Maybe I'm just not a Christian. And you're left struggling. Wondering why. What's going on with me? What's wrong with me? And we have a problem believing that there's assurance and that there's truly salvation, and that there's truly heaven, and that all those promises that Jesus made, that He was faithful to those. Those are spiritual doubts. And I will tell you, I have asked almost every single one of these questions, and I will tell you, it wasn't out loud. I didn't want people to know that that was going through my head, but I asked them to myself. The final type of doubt that I see in the Scriptures is probably the largest group, and I think that it's probably because it encompasses basically everything else, and it's step one in the progression usually, and that's circumstantial doubt. And that is that whenever you're dealing with difficult circumstances, like John was in prison, it's very easy to start to have some questions and have some doubt. And we see this with Peter in Matthew chapter 14. He said, Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord... If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, let's back up for just a second. Peter and the rest of the disciples are in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a storm, and they see a figure coming to them. And I want you to recognize that Peter at least had enough faith to recognize that the only person who could do that is Jesus. And so he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out. That took a lot of faith to say, hey, let me come out to you. 
But Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You want to, take, you want to know what takes more faith than knowing that Jesus was the only one who could walk on water? Or to ask him if you could come down to him? To get off that boat. That took a lot of faith. In the middle of a storm. And as he starts going towards Jesus, notice what happens. It says in verse 30 that when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got back into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Think about a powerful circumstance. But I want you to notice that Peter had faith, and he had enough faith to get out of the boat. But he looked around him, and he saw everything that was going on. And it was scary. And it was hard. And so he starts to sink. That again, we see where at least he had enough faith to cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And I want you to notice the result, very similar to the result of Thomas whenever Jesus gave him what he needed to go from unbelieving to believing. Thomas said, you are my Lord and my God. The men here on this boat said, truly, you are the Son of God. And you see Peter and these disciples moving from what doubt they had to a part of strong faith. But this happens to us today. Where we look around us and we see how windy it is. And it's hard. And it's scary. And we start asking some very difficult questions. And usually these types of doubts are hard because there is a lot of emotion tied to them. Because you're asking questions like, why did my, die, my child die? Why can't we seem to have kids? We've tried for years. Why is my marriage a wreck? Why is it that every time I come home, we just constantly fight? I thought that doing things God's ways was supposed to help. Why can't I find a husband or wife? I've looked for years. That's what I have longed for. That's what I have prayed for. And here I am 15 years and it's just not happening. Where was God when someone was abusing me? Where was God? These are very, very emotional, but they're also very, very common. But something that we need to understand is that there's a bit of a progression involved here. And I'm going to tell you that whenever circumstantial doubts aren't handled, they generally move into spiritual doubts. And when spiritual doubts aren't handled, they generally turn into intellectual doubts. And I'll tell you that whenever they move into intellectual doubts, that's when people start leaving the church. You want to talk about the mass exodus of some of our kids? I'm not saying that this is the only reason. Whenever you sweep doubt under the rug. 
You make them feel bad for asking questions that they should know the answer to. When you ostracize them because they try to talk to you about their doubt. But we're left with these questions. And it can happen to us all. And so let's spend a little bit of time this morning talking about how we can move from this place of doubt to a point of stronger faith where this truly can be a growing process because it can be and it should be. We shouldn't be left to our doubts. The first step in this process is to admit your doubts and ask for help. I want you to think about John the Baptist. He had doubts. Think about Thomas. He had doubts. Think about Peter. He had doubts. And in all of these situations, every single one of them had to admit their doubts. John admitted his doubt not only to Jesus, but he had to admit it to his disciples who went and actually asked the question. Thomas had to admit his doubts to his other believers that, and his friends that he had traveled with for three years. He had to, Peter had to admit his doubt while he's standing in the middle of the ocean or the sea and there's other disciples sitting on that boat back there. But every single one of them reached out and they needed that assistance and they were able to admit their doubt and ask for help. And Thomas said, you were my Lord, my God. The men on the boat said, truly, you are the Son of God. And the reality is, is that doubts need to be personally admitted. They need to be communicated so that they can be addressed and they can be answered. And I will tell you that Jesus is able, just like He did with Thomas, just like He did with Peter, to give you the answers that you need to solve those problems within your mind if you will communicate your doubts to Him and you will get help from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to take a quick side note right now and go down a rabbit trail and just say, look, if someone comes to you and they talk to you about your doubts, think about the way that Jesus handled them. And please understand that this situation needs to be handled seriously. It needs to be handled tactfully and carefully. Because whenever somebody admits their doubts to you, they are making themselves vulnerable to you. They are opening themselves up. And if you shut that down, it can be disastrous. Jesus had compassion on these men. and He gave them what they needed to move from doubt to faith. And if somebody comes to you with doubts, please do not berate them. Please do not deal with them harshly. Don't sweep it under the rug or abandon them or ostracize them, but have compassion on them and help them. And if somebody comes to you and you don't feel equipped, say number one, say thank you for being real with me, but I'm going to get you some help. And I, I want you to trust me and let's go talk to somebody. Somebody who can address those doubts. But let's get them taken care of. Because it should be a growing process. It can be a growing process. The next part of this is to act on your faith and not your doubts. And that simply means that you shouldn't just throw away your entire belief system just because you're having some doubts. And I will tell you that whenever I was going through my problem of doubt, there were a lot of things that I was questioning. But there was an aspect there that I had to hold on to my faith and act by my faith. Because that's what Noah did. 
How many times do you think Noah looked up at the stars while he was building that ark and said, okay, we've never seen rain before, and now all of a sudden it's going to rain enough that it's going to flood everything, and I'm supposed to build this massive boat, and all the animals are supposed to come. What in the world am I doing here? He didn't know how it was going to end, but he acted on his faith and not his doubt. You think Abraham always knew the way that that was going to play out whenever he moved him and his family to a land that they had never been to? What about whenever he sacrificed his son or was going to sacrifice his son? You know, they're trudging up to this sacrificial point. You think he didn't lay awake at night wondering, what in the world am I doing here? I have prayed for this son. This son has been promised. And now God is wanting me to sacrifice this son? What's up with that? And then his son says, Dad, I see the wood. I see all the supplies for the sacrifice, but I don't see a lamb. Talk about a dagger in the heart. What am I doing here? But he acted on his faith and not his doubt. You see that with Moses in the Red Sea. You see that with David whenever he faced Goliath. You see that with Nehemiah whenever he built the wall. You see that with Josiah whenever he led a reformation of God's people. You see over and over and over and over again in God's Word where people acted on their faith instead of their doubt. And now we read about them and say, they say, what a faithful person. Guess what? They were a person who simply acted on their faith instead of their doubt. And that's what we need to do. The next point here is very similar. It walks hand in hand, and it's the idea that we need to keep going back to what is true. And I mentioned that whenever I had a lot of questions, I questioned just about everything, but there were three questions that I did not ask myself, that I did not doubt, and that is I knew that there was a God. I knew that He had had a Son, that He loved me enough to offer that Son as a sacrifice for my sin, and I knew that I could trust that. And so many times whenever we are in the season of doubt, we just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we just want to completely go every which direction and believe every wind of doctrine. But the idea here is that we need to keep going to what we know is true because that's going to be an anchor for us. And I want you to listen to the words of wisdom from Peter, the same man who doubted and was saved by Jesus. It says in verse 12, Therefore I did always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think that it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. He says, I know that you know these things are true. You're established in that truth, but guess what? I'm going to keep telling you that they're true. And I'm going to keep reminding you of that. He says, because at some point, I'm not going to be here, and it's going to be very soon, and I want you to know and remember the truth and hold on to that and let that be an anchor to you. Listen to the words of Peter. Listen to the wisdom there. And keep going back to what you know to be true, and it will be an anchor because those times are hard. And you need something to hold on to. And finally, study. Study. I want you to think about the way that Jesus handled John the Baptist's doubts. Jesus knew that John knew who he was. But after sitting in prison, John began to doubt but I want you to think about the way Jesus handled that doubt. He didn't come 
and give him a hug in prison and pat him on the back and tell him that everything was going to be okay. That's probably what John wanted. That's what I would probably want. But he sent the word back with him. He said, go to Isaiah chapter 61. Look around you and compare and you will see. You will have that answer. Because Jesus knew that having that word and that reminder would stir up his mind to increase his faith. And even though doubt is an emotional topic and it's an emotional experience, please do not allow your emotion to dominate your entirety of your thinking. And you have to come to a place where God's Word is more real to you than anything else. And when you're in doubt, refer back to the Word of God. Because that's going to help this process of doubt turn into something great and be that catalyst of increased faith rather than a trajectory away from God. You know, Maybe there's a reason that God has not used an emotional touch to deliver you from your doubt or unbelief. Maybe it's because He wants you operating at the highest form of faith possible, which is where you truly take Him in His Word. That's what He did for John. And that's what He can do for us. If you'll put in that work and you'll put in that effort. But here's what I want you to understand about doubt. It's common. It happens. Some of Jesus' greatest and closest disciples had doubts. But God doesn't want us to doubt. It happens. God doesn't want us to sin. It happens. But God has also given us the mechanisms to protect ourselves from the trajectory of doubt and it bringing up destruction. And if you have doubts, I plead with you to start down that path of moving from doubt to faith. Put in that work because it's worth it. Have that anchor. And I will tell you that if anything else, know that God has revealed Himself to you and that He has loved you enough to give you His Son. Those two things are true. And they are so abundantly evident. Hold on to that. If you're someone who somebody comes and talks to you about their doubt, please recognize the seriousness of this. And make sure that you handle this tactfully because we're talking about people's souls here. We're talking about their relationship with God here. And it is not something that gets brushed under the rug but it's something that can be a growing process. This morning, maybe you've had some of these questions. Maybe you can join me in knowing that you've had these doubts. And I will tell you that joining me is not something to be proud of. It's not something to be happy with. But it's something that God has given us the ability to work through. And I want to work through that with you. Your elders want to work through that with you. They care for you and they love you. And that's why God and His wisdom has given us one another and given us leadership. And I ask you to trust them. And if there's a way that we can help you or serve you this morning, 
the only way that we know that we can help you is if you tell us. They're not mind readers and neither am I. Have a seat on the front row as we stand seeing the invitation. Thanks for joining our sermon series podcast today. For more, check us out on YouTube or come worship with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.